We're good? All right. So, um, again, just thank you for being here. You know, I, I always, last week, you know, I was in here, my son and I were in here by ourselves, obviously, right? And, you know, just trying to preach, you know, and, you know, again, you do it for an audience of one, it's for God, but there's just such a different dynamic when, you know, people are here, and so I'm sitting here, you know, amen, you know, you know, if you're safe, say amen, <laughs> you know, so I'm thinking, you know, kind of in my mind, you guys are saying amen at home, so hopefully that was, that was true, right, so, all right, so you guys good? Any outlines, anyone, we're good? Okay, let's go ahead and let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray and dive into God's word. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come here today. We know that there's a lot of a sickness going around, Lord, and Father, we pray for your hand of protection and healing, and Lord, those who are sick, that they would recover well, Lord. I thank you for those who are here today. It just blesses my heart, Lord, and again, Lord, I will continue to say that we are to be wise and cautious, but not fearful. So Father, I pray that you would bless our time here today, and Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. I praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're now in chapter 4. We're going to cover the whole chapter uh, this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're now in part 6 of our series, From the Heart. Someone say, From the Heart. Now, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was all of chapter 3. And you might remember that Paul had been contrasting the difference between the ministry of the Old Covenant, which is the law and the letter, that resulted in condemnation and death, and then the ministry of the New Covenant, say New Covenant, which is grace, that resulted in the work of the Spirit of God and brought life and brought freedom. And so I want to kind of go over the, the four contrasts that Paul made there. In the first contrast, you might remember this, between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace. Uh, look at the end of verse 3. It says, Paul writes, not on tablets of stone, referring to the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of human hearts. You see, this is what Jesus had done. He, he wrote his message, this is now, upon the Corinthians' hearts through his servant Paul. Not with fading ink but with his permanent, say permanent, marker, the Holy Spirit. So we know that the law of the Old Covenant was external, right? It could never change your life. In the New Testament ministry, the New Covenant is internal, say internal. It's the Spirit of the living God living inside of us, right? Changing us and empowering us. The second contrast between the Old Testament law and New Testament grace, it's at the end of verse 6. And Paul writes, for the letter kills. Remember that? For the letter kills. So the letter represents the law of Moses, right? That's what the letter represents is the law of Moses. The law kills by making us aware of our sin. And the purpose of the law was to point out our sin, not solve it. If you got it, say got it. Then he says, but the Spirit gives life. So the letter kills. And he says, but the Spirit gives life. This is the new life in Christ. Now, if you're, if you're safe, say amen. Okay, so this is the new life in Christ. By trusting Jesus Christ, uh, you can receive eternal life. The third contrast between the Old Testament law and New Testament grace is found in verses 10 through 11, and it's from fading glory to lasting glory. I love that, from fading glory to lasting glory. And the glory of the law, like the glow on Moses' face, was not permanent. Got it? The new covenant, say new covenant, of Jesus is 
permanent. It's more powerful and it's more beautiful and it's inward, say inward. And finally, the fourth contrast between the Old Testament law and New Testament grace found in verse 17, and that's from bondage to freedom. Say that, from bondage, say to freedom. We have freedom from the judgment. We have freedom from the yoke and the condemnation of the law. And the law, friends, has no power to condemn us any longer. A good place to say amen. Uh, We are free from legalistic religious practices. We are free from bondage to sin and free to be, listen, ruled by the flesh. I love that. We are free from that. Amen. This now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is Do Not Lose Heart. Everyone say that with great enthusiasm. Do not lose heart. Three points. If you're ready, say yes. Point number one is the scriptures. Write that down. Say that. The scriptures. And here we have the scriptures. In other words, Paul's saying the scriptures, how to handle the scriptures. How to handle, how to handle the word of God. Let's look at verse one. Paul opens up by saying, therefore, say therefore. Therefore, it means that Paul's pointing back to all that he had written about in the previous chapter. Got it? About the what? The glory and the ministry of the new covenant. So he says, therefore, since through God's mercy, we have this ministry. What's that ministry? The new covenant. Say new covenant. And he says, we do not lose what? Heart. So Paul knew that it was only by the grace and and by the mercy of God that he had been saved and, and also given the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, if you're saved, say amen. You too are our recipient of God's mercy and God's grace, given the opportunity, got that? Given the opportunity to share the gospel. Friends, it's given to us because of God's mercy, not because of anything we are or what we've done. It's all about his mercy and about his grace. Let's go back to the text. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, speaking of the new covenant, we do not lose heart. Everyone say that. We That literally has the idea of of not giving up, not becoming discouraged, not becoming spiritless, not becoming faint-hearted or despondent or or discouraged. The King James renders it like this, we faint not. The message says we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. The Amplified Bible says we do not get discouraged nor lose our motivation, our motivation. A better translation is this. We do not surrender as cowards. Did you get that? And so Paul's like, Paul's like, we're not wimps. We're not sissy lalas. Are you guys with me? And Paul's saying, basically, yes, it's been tough. We've we've had our afflictions. We've, We've had our trials. It hasn't been easy, but we're not going to bail out. You guys got it? Not going to quit. Not going to give up. Because in Paul's mind, the message of the new covenant is too amazing and too life-changing, listen now, for us to give up as cowards. Got it? Listen, friends, when we consider all that Jesus has done for us and the amazing, life-changing message of the new covenant, how it's changed our lives, how could we even think of giving up or lose faith? Huh? How? So here's a lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Very simple. Don't give up. Don't give up. Has it been tough? Yeah, these last two and a half years, almost two and a half years now, going out well, a little 
into three years now, right? It's been tough with the pandemic and all kinds of, not, not to you know, mention your, your own trials in life. Has it been tough? Yes, it has been, but don't give up. Don't quit. The enemy wants you to bail out. The enemy wants you to throw in the towel. The enemy wants you to say, I'm done. But we have the new covenant. We have this wonderful message from God, amen? So don't quit. Don't give up. And Paul says, we're not giving up. We're not giving up. Verse 2, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. And I want to stop there because Paul, and throughout his ministry, Paul had dealt with many who used the word of God deceitfully, right? And we see that. These false teachers who use the word of God deceitfully in order to deceive and trap others. And, and here Paul could also be mentioning the Judaizers. And Paul's like, we're not, we're not the ones, guys. Listen, we're not the ones, but they're the ones who twist and they're the ones who distort the word of God, the scriptures, using it out of context for their own purpose and for their own gain. And we see that today. I mean, just turn on the TV, man. You can hear some preachers and they're totally taking things out of context. Are you with me? Let's read on. On the contrary, I love this, by setting forth the truth, say truth, plainly we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul's like, we're not those deceivers. We're not those distorters of the word of God. On the contrary, we handle, I love this about Paul, we handle the scriptures rightly and display the truth of God's word openly in the sight of God. We've got nothing to hide. So this begs the question, how do you know if someone is handling the word of God correctly and rightly? I'll tell you how, okay? They interpret the text in light of the context. Got that? They interpret the text in light of the context. And what happens today, sadly, you have a lot of preachers who are taking the text and making it a pretext, making it say what they wanted to say, not what the Scripture's saying. But that's how you tell one is handling the word of God correctly is they interpret the text, the text in light of the context. They also interpret the text, listen now, according to its background. Got it? That's how you know. And that's why I have nothing against topical messages. We'll probably do some topical messages down, down the road, but this is why we do, for the most part, uh, you know, verse by verse. Right? Got it? Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Expository preaching. So, so as, listen, as pastors and, and as teachers and as ministers of the Word of God, we are called to use the Word honestly and rightly, dividing the Word of truth, right, correctly. And in fact, just write this down, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I, I don't have time to read it to you, but go home and read it, 2 Timothy 2, 15, that we are to rightly divide the Word of God correctly. Now, in the previous chapter, follow me now, Paul had already explained that the mind of the Jews, remember this? The mind of the Jews were veiled because of the blindness of their heart. While here, here in the text, Paul makes it clear that the minds of the Gentiles, he went from the Jews, now here in the Gentiles, are also blinded. So look at verse 3 with me. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are what? Perishing. You see, when you share the gospel, and I want you to get this, when you share the gospel and make it clear, you make the gospel totally clear, the fault isn't the message's fault, and the fault isn't the messenger's fault. The fault lies on the one who's hearing it. 
Are you guys with me? He or she who's hearing it is blinded to the truth, which brings us to right into the next verse. Look at the next verse, verse 4. The God, small g, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, say unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul was well aware that not everyone would be open nor accept the gospel. He knew that. And he knew that Satan is a deceiver and that he, Satan, works to keep people in the dark. That's his M.O., man. He works to keep people in the dark. He blinds their minds to keep them from seeing the truth and the light of the gospel to keep them from seeing their true spiritual condition and their need for salvation. That's what the devil does. He blinds them to that. And this is why, listen now, as believers, this is why when you share Jesus, the gospel with others, some of them will look at you like you're crazy, like you're delusional, right? Why? Because they're blinded. They're blinded by the devil. Now, I want to point out that this is the only place where Satan is called the God of this age. Say the God of this age. Now, I want you to write this down. Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Ephesians 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2, excuse me. Chapter 2, verse 2. He's called the ruler of the power of the air. In John chapter 12, verse 31, John 12, 31, he's called the ruler of this world. So you have one, he's called one that of the, the power of the, the air and one who is ruler of this world. The world in which we live in, listen now, the world, this world that which, in we, which, which we live in is dominated, say dominated, by the, Satan, his influence, right? I and mean, we see it all around us. He's, he's the God, he's, he's the ruler of this world system. Got it? System that is hostile to the values of the kingdom of God. You're still with me? Say amen. Now listen and get this. God has not, I want you to get this, God has not surrendered control of his world to Satan. Can I get an amen? Follow me. Satan's corrupt rule is limited to this age. Got it? God and only God will rule for all the ages to come. Because he's God. Now notice what? that Paul calls Satan the God, say the God of this age. Not a true God. He's not a true God. But one people have mistaken for their God. He's regarded as God. He's worshipped as God unconsciously by the world. Follow me. The value system of Satan are shared by the vast majority of the people in this world. I mean, just look at our world. Look at this world system. Look at our culture, friends. Are, are they not far from God? Absolutely. And Satan has blinded them. Now, I want you to stay with me. While Satan is a false god, and he is, right? If you believe that, say amen. Jesus is the very likeness and image of God. Say, Jesus is God. Let's go back to the text. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. This is what Satan fears the most. He doesn't want the hearts and the minds of people illuminated by the gospel, by the light of Christ. And Paul knew that the message of the gospel had the ability, right, to illuminate the hearts of those who live in bondage. And Satan knows that as well. 
And that is why Satan so desperately seeks to keep people in darkness apart from the light of the gospel. You see, one of the primary things Satan blinds people from, stay with me here now, okay, is the character and the nature of Jesus. He wants to blind them from the character and nature of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's the true God. Amen? Lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Say yes. Here we go. We have the solution to the darkness. If you are saved, if you are born again, covered by the blood of Jesus, you have a solution to the darkness. And, and I got to tell you, that ought to challenge and encourage us. We have a solution to the darkness that binds and blinds humanity, right? The solution is who? Jesus. He's a solution. The light of Jesus is a solution that brings mankind out of darkness into the glorious light of salvation and reconciliation. So let me ask you this. What are you doing about it? I mean, you have this message, right? You have this new covenant, wonderful grace, grace message from God, right, from Christ. What are you doing about it? And I want to tell you, friends, are we committed to letting the light of Jesus shine through us? Are we doing that, shine through us, or will we, or will we just keep it hidden within our hearts? And by the way, we should daily be praying for opening of eyes, that the eyes of the lost would be opened. So are you sharing it to others, or are you just keeping it to yourself? Verse 5, for we do not, I love this, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. And every preacher, every Bible study teacher, every minister of the gospel ought to memorize this verse. Are you guys with me? Paul preaches Jesus not himself. And that's what I love about Paul, right? That he preached Jesus and not himself. And what Paul does, Paul affirms that he, listen, affirms that the focus and the priority of his preaching is Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not, listen, it's not promoting himself. Paul never, never, never promotes himself. He never promotes his own agenda, not even his own ministry. Could have, but he didn't. Right? You see, it's Jesus Christ who was the subject of Paul's preaching. It was all about Jesus. Now, remember what Paul said back in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. You might remember this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul writes, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except, this is what he says, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. How awesome is that? Paul didn't commend himself or preach himself. He sought only to preach Jesus. And that being said, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. Be, listen now, church. Listen now, Christians. Be, beware of preachers who use the pulpit to talk about themselves, their accomplishments, their ministry, and their goodness rather than Jesus. Beware of those people. Listen, cry out. Listen, and I want to say this. Listen to my heart. If I fail to preach the gospel to you, if I fail to exalt Jesus, then I have offered nothing, nothing of eternal value, eternal life, nothing of changing value to you. It's got to be all Jesus. Amen? 
Now notice what Paul said about himself. And ourselves, look at the text, and ourselves as your servants, a servants for Jesus' sake. So Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ, committed, dedicated to the welfare of, of the Corinthian believers. And you see, friends, at the end of the day, Paul was nothing more than a servant for Jesus, who preached Jesus, not himself. So, so you guys ready for the lesson? Ready? Here we go. It's all about Jesus, not you. <laughs> yeah? It's all about Jesus, not you. Say, it's all about Jesus. Say, not me. Don't talk about you. Don't talk about you. You know some folks are always talking about themselves. Don't talk about you. It's okay to talk about what Jesus has done for you, yeah? But move on from talking about you and talk about him, about Jesus, okay? We're just servants of God who talk about Jesus, yeah? And I love it when I hear Christians just talk about Jesus, talk about what Jesus has done in their life, but they're not really talking about themselves. They're talking about Jesus, and I love that. And Paul was all about Jesus, not himself. Verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Made, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now I want to go back. God, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Did you get that? Who said that? God. God. So this is, this is amazing, and I want you to get this. Hear what Paul does. In that verse there, verse 6, Paul compares the conversion of a sinner to creation as described in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and it says, Now the earth was formless, and the earth was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, what? Let there be light. And there was what? Light. And I love the way Warren Wiersbe put it. He says, like the earth of Genesis, the lost sinner is formless and empty. But when that person trusts Jesus, that person becomes a new creation. God then begins to form and fill the life of the person who trusts Jesus. And the person begins to be fruitful for God. God's let there be light makes everything new. Isn't that awesome? 1 Peter 2.9 says this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, but you are a chosen people. If you believe that, say amen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him. And notice what Peter says, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, marvelous light. Amen? Let light shine out of darkness. Verse 7 now, I want you to stay with me here now, okay? Verse 7, notice, first of all, notice the illustration. Notice the illustration first. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's the illustration. And what Paul does, Paul pictures our body, right, us, our body, as a jar of clay, right? A jar of clay. Now, notice, the, so we saw the illustration. Now, now, now notice the implication to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, gosh, I love that, and not from us. So you have the illustration, jars of clay. The implication is that it shows that this all-surpassing power is from who? Not from us. 
And this is done so everyone can see that our power, the power in my life, the power in your life is from God, not from ourselves. Got it? Now, if you're safe, say amen. God has hidden, listen now, God has hidden a priceless, precious treasure, which is the gospel in fragile clay jars, clay pots. That's us. Got it? You're just, listen, you're just a, a clay jar. You're just a clay pot, all right? And I'm, I, most of us are cracked pots, right? Right? You see, here in, the, in, in this verse, Paul is showing us, and I love this, the true nature of the message of the gospel in comparison to the true nature of the messenger. Listen now, of the messenger of the gospel. So he's shown us the true nature of the message of the gospel in comparison to the true nature of the messenger of the gospel. Now, if you're safe, say amen. The amazing and humbling thing is that God puts his glorious life-changing message in jars of clay, clay pots. We're just the vessel. That's all we are. We are the vessels, we are, we are the vessel carrying precious contents. Got it? Now I'm gonna give you a couple of lessons here. The first one is this. God uses our weaknesses. That's a good place to say amen, right? God uses our weaknesses. And boy, don't we have them, right? I have them, you have them. As Christians, we have weaknesses. Listen, God works through, and I love this, through weak, fragile, faulty people. He loves to do that. You know why, friends? You know why? That way others will realize that it's not the person but God working, this is not doing the work through the person. Get this, God doesn't use us because of us. He uses us in spite of us. Now I want you to get this. When you feel weak and useless is when you are the most usable. Some of you say, well, I just, I don't know if I can do anything for God. I feel weak, I feel useless. Guess what? Bam! That's when you're most usable. That's when God says, ah, now I can use you. Now I can use you because now you're open. Now I can use you. Are you guys with me? Listen, church, God is bigger in your life when you allow yourself to be smaller. And he is stronger in your life when you acknowledge your weaknesses. Got it? That I would decrease, right, that he would increase. Can I get an amen for that? And you know, the one thing that makes, and, and you've heard me say this many times, the one thing that makes me question God, and I'm being honest here, the one thing that makes me question God is this choice of me. That I, I'm blown away that God would even choose me and that he would even use me. Seriously, I'm being serious, folks. I'm like, God, I, I don't even know why you used me, why you chose me, but you did. And I'm so grateful and humbled by that. Lesson, here we go. Here's the lesson. Are you ready? The lesson, focus on the contents, not the container. Focus on the contents, not the container. Say that. Focus on the contents, not the container. We as believers need to draw attention to the treasure, not the clay pot. The treasure in the clay pot, not the clay pot or clay jar itself. You see, the treasure of the gospel doesn't receive its value from its container. It derives its power from God, not the vessel. It's, it's, it's your jar, it's your pot, right? It's your, it's your jar, it's your pot, but guess what? It's his power. Okay, so we're not all that. 
right? Now, if you say, say amen. When God does, and he does, right, a mighty work through us, we need to be clear in drawing attention to him, not ourselves, right? And that's why, friends, I got to tell you, my parents, my daddy's now with the Lord, and my mom is doing well now, praise God, but they've taught me that when people compliment you, you say, praise God. And I've always reminded myself, hey, dude, it's not about you. You're just a vessel, dude. You're just a cracked pot jar. It's not you. It's what's in you, and he receives the glory, right? That's why I say praise God, right? Matthew 5.16, write this down. Jesus said this, Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and what? And glorify who? Not you. God in heaven. If you got it, say got it. Isaiah 42, 8. Write that down. Isaiah 42, 8. Chapter 42, verse 8 says that God will not, gosh, listen, God will not share his glory with anyone. Got it? He's not. He's not. So it's all about him. Just picture yourself as a clay pot, clay jar. Not too attractive, but guess what? There's something amazing and wonderful and marvelous inside of you that shines through you. Amen? Got it? Say, got it. Number two is the suffering. Write that down. Say that. Say the suffering. And here Paul, and I love this, what Paul does, Paul talks about the reality of suffering and the the reaction, or should I say the right reaction to suffering in our lives as believers, okay? Look at verses 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side. This is Paul talking now, right? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. I love this. Perplexed, but not what? In despair. Verse 9, persecuted, but not abandoned. God will never leave you. Struck down, but not destroyed. And this is Paul's way of saying, guess what? I'm down, but I'm not out. Knocked down, but not knocked out. Are you guys with me? And Paul went through it. I mean, if you read the life of Paul, friends, I mean, we've been in 1 Corinthians, right? Now in 2 Corinthians. I mean, Paul went through it. In fact, friends, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 23 through 27, we're going to get to that later down in this this series, Paul gives a list of his sufferings. And go home and read that. Well, I'll just read to you. He was beaten. He was whipped, stoned, okay, with rocks, not this. Got it? Okay, stoned, left for dead, mocked at, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, arrested, imprisoned, gone without food, without sleep, and cold and naked. Huh. All that Paul went through, he didn't quit. Could have, didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel in the face of hardship. He kept pressing on. He kept pressing on. In fact, friends, I believe Paul would say, if you were to ask him, Paul, you know, how do you feel about all the suffering? He said, you know, all the suffering, it was worth it. He would say that. I believe he would say, it was worth all it. All the suffering I went through, all the despair, all the hardship and affliction, it was worth it. That was Paul's mindset and focus. He was the unstoppable apostle, right? Verses 10 
12, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Did you get that? So what? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always, say always, come on, say always, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life, say his life, may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life, say life, is at work in you. You see, Paul was willing to suffer. Paul was willing, listen now, to face death because in facing death, he could preach the gospel of life. Got it? Follow me. He shares in the death of Jesus. That's what the text says, in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be seen in him. And what he's doing, he's living in constant danger so that Jesus will be obvious to those around him. So question, is Jesus obvious to those around you? In your life with your friends at work, neighbors, family, is Jesus obvious to those around you? Do they see? Oh, yeah, you can see Jesus in that. Is Jesus obvious to those around you? I hope the answer is yes. If not, then take a look at yourself. Verse 13, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. I love that. That should be written in every single believer's heart. It is written, I believe. Say, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Say that. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. So Paul, what he's doing, he's quoting Psalm 116, chapter 116, Verse 10, and what, and what that chapter is, it's a hymn of thanksgiving for deliverance from death. And it says there in verse 10 of Psalm 116, I believed, therefore I have spoken, I was greatly afflicted. So the idea, even though Paul is having lots of trouble and trials in his life because of his faith in God, he, Paul, will continue to speak up and continue to preach the gospel. Got it? And Paul's like, all the bad things, all the affliction, all the sufferings that has happened in my life has not, Paul's saying, and will not seal up my lips. I will continue to preach the gospel. Can someone say amen? He didn't shut his voice, his lips to the gospel just because he was going through hard times. Now, why was Paul able to do that? Why was he able to do that? To not keep his mouth shut in the midst of suffering? Look at the next verse, verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his what? Presence. Paul's confident. Paul's confident that if God raised Jesus from the dead, and he did, right? Can I get an Amen that he, Paul, would be raised from the dead too. And that Paul is not worried if he dies. He's not worried about that. Okay? He's not worried if he dies from all of his hardships and conflict and affliction that he's facing. Why? Because he'll be raised one day. Listen, even the fear of death, even the fear of death didn't slow Paul down. Every death-like trial or experience was just the, the prelude, a prelude to resurrection power. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Death ends nothing. Say that. 
You know what? Death ends nothing. To the believer, death ends nothing. And we'll talk more about that next week, but it ends nothing. It merely closes the door on our earthly existence, and when it does, it opens the door of eternity. Death is no longer a foe. It's now a friend. Are you guys with me? So as believers, we should never fear death. Got it? Say, got it. Verse 15. All this is for, for your benefit. All this is for your benefit. You know, notice that I want to stop. You notice that Paul is living his life for the sake of others. And you know, I got to be honest. This, this is what just I love about Paul. It was all about Christ, not himself. And it was all about others. He was others focused, right? He's living his life for the sake of others. His heart was to serve the Corinthian believers, to preach the gospel and to serve the Corinthian believers. But notice his ultimate goal was motivated by the glory of God. Let's read on. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to who? The glory of who? God. Did you get that? Get that? So he's living as a servant, right, to the glory of God. Let me ask you this real quick. Do you serve others? Are you a servant? Is it about others or is it about yourself? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is your ultimate goal motivated by the glory of God? And it should be. Amen. Number three. Number three. Here we go. The secrets. Say that. And here Paul gives the secrets to endurance. He lays out the secrets to endurance. This is how we don't lose heart. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. There's that, there's that phrase again we saw at the beginning of the chapter, right? He says, therefore, okay, all that he said, right? We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being what? Come on, say it. Renewed day by day. Now, now, now I need you to be honest, okay? <laughs> Have you noticed that outwardly you're wasting away? Okay, have you noticed that? Most of the young, young people here don't think that. They don't believe that because they're still young, right? They're still young, <laughs> right? I mean, the, the, this, this clay jar of ours and this clay pot is wasting away. And by the way, friends, you, you know you're getting old, and I, I'm getting old. I, I can't believe I'm going to be 60 this year. You know? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm an old fogey. Are you guys with me? Okay? But... You think about, you know you're getting old when, when, you, when you pull a muscle, put it on your socks, right? You know you're getting old when, when you can't read the directions on your anti-aging face cream, right? You know you're getting old when, when you put your pajamas and slippers on at the time when you used to go out, true? You know you're getting old when your, your back goes out more than you do. You know you're getting old when... You can live without sex, but not without your glasses. Amen? You know you're getting old when happy hour is a nap. You know you're getting old when everything hurts and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. And you know you're getting old <laughs> when your friends compliment you on your new alligator shoes and you're barefoot. Right? I tell you, this, this, this old jar and this, this vessel, getting old, right? It's, it's falling apart little by little, right? So, so outwardly and physically, we're wasting away. But the, listen now, but the encouraging thing, say encouraging thing, 
is while our physical bodies are wasting away, the inner man and the inner woman is getting stronger and being renewed day by day, right, and blessed day by day by the Lord. We're becoming more and more fit spiritually. On the outside, we're suffering, right, and, and taking a beating, but on the inside, say the inside, God is blessing us and God is renewing us. So I don't mind getting old, right? As long as I'm getting renewed day by day in the inner man, inner person. Can I get an amen? So lesson, are you ready for the lesson? Here we go. The spiritual is more important than the physical. Got it? Now listen, you should take care of yourself physically. You should exercise. You should do what you can to eat right. But, but the spiritual is more important than that. And, and sometimes I think we can get so caught up in the physical that we neglect the spiritual. Right? So because that's what's going to live on, right? So don't forget that. Spend time renewing the inner person in your life. Yeah, you, yeah, you ought to exercise. You ought to do that. I'm, I'm all for that. I do that. I exercise. But guess what? This is more important. Right? Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles. Now notice all that Paul went through, right? Did he go through it? And what does he call his troubles? Light. Come on, Paul, really? Really? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, what? An eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So you know what Paul's doing? Paul's putting his troubles, his trials, his afflictions, his sufferings on the scales of eternity. And he's like this. He's like, take all of your troubles, take all of your sufferings, take all of your afflictions, and put them on one side of the scale... And Paul's saying like, hey, and then place the weight of glory, say glory, on the other side of the scale, and you'll see what light affliction you really have. They are but small potatoes, man. Nada compared to the lavish celebration prepared for you and I. Amen? If you're safe, say amen. My affliction, and I want you to get this, your affliction is light. What do you mean, Pastor? You don't know what I'm going through. It's light compared to what others suffer. Someone else has it worse off than you do. Our affliction is light compared to what we deserve. Our affliction is light compared to what Jesus suffered for us. Our affliction is light compared to the blessings that you and I enjoy in Christ. Our affliction is light as we experience the sustaining power of God's wonderful grace. Our affliction is light when we see the glory that it leads to. Yeah? Our affliction is light, not heavy. Why? Because even the worst of it, even the worst of it by the measure of eternity is but for a moment. It's small potatoes. Verse 18, if you're still with me, say amen. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, did you get that? But on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Say it, eternal. And this is what kept Paul going. This is what kept Paul going. This is what made Paul endure through his life of sufferings. It was his focus. Say focus. He focused on the eternal. 
Yes, his sufferings and his afflictions were real. Yes, it was real. But what he did, he focused not on that. He focused on the eternal. John Henry Jowett, referring to this verse, verse 18, wrote this. To be able to see the first, the things which are seen, is sight. To be able to see the second is insight. The first mode of vision is natural. The second mode is spiritual. The primary organ in the first discernment is intellect. The primary organ in the second discernment is faith. Say faith. You see, Paul had sight. He could see. I know that some theologians believe he had some issues with his sight, but he could see. He had sight, but he also had insight. He saw past the momentary hardships and the momentary sufferings with insight, with faith with discernment. So you ready for the lesson? Yeah, here we go. Keep your eyes in the right place. Keep your eyes in the right place. Now I want you to get this. If you don't get anything, get this. Endurance, say that, is based on the ability to look beyond the temporary, to look beyond the physical, to the eternal. I'm going to say that again. Endurance is based on the ability to look beyond the temporary, look beyond the physical to the eternal. And, and you know what? I, I, know, I know some of you here, I know what you're going through. Some of you I don't know. But for some of you, I want to say this. Some of you need to refocus. Some of you need to refocus. Some of you need, need fine-tune. You need to fine-tune your focus. Why? Because you're so caught up in the suffering. You're so caught up in your trial. You're so caught up in your hardship that you're overwhelmed with worry and anxiety. You can't function properly spiritually. And I want to tell you, you need to refocus. Fine-tune your focus. Keep your eyes in the right place. Focus on the eternal, not the temporary. Amen? So keep your eyes in the right place and do not lose heart. Amen? Let's all stand. Amen.